Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 165 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. I have a question for you. Do swarms have a preference for where they settle? Two swarms, just days apart, both in the same tree. Is that just coincidence? Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. If this is your first time listening, you are most welcome and thank you for stopping by. Well, I don't know about you, but I've had a very busy week and today I'm actually feeling quite tired. Some very long days clearing and removing the spring honey crop, getting it back to the honey room and extracting while it's still in a reasonably liquid state. This is the challenge with oilseed rape honey, trying to judge the point of removal so as not to let it granulate in the comb, yet making sure it's still reduced in moisture enough to be honey and not just nectar. Generally speaking, I think we have to cut out about a quarter of our frames because of the granulation issues, but I'm not too bothered by that really. We use unwired foundation in the supers for the most part and this makes it easier to cut out comb because the knife doesn't get caught on those wires and rip the comb apart. If we do cut out the comb I leave a one inch strip of comb along the top to give the bees a starter strip to draw down fresh comb again. I find this works really well and gives us some fabulous fresh wax to use for our beeswax wraps. This process necessarily means that we lose a little honey production, but I don't mind that so much as the wax is just as valuable to me. Where we do have extractable honey, the unwired comb holds together pretty well in the extractor. As long as the bees have pulled the comb across to the sides of the frame and centrally to the bottom, they very rarely blow apart when we extract. By this, I mean the centrifugal forces of the extractor spinning at full speed don't tend to cause the comb to break out of the frame. It sometimes happens, but only rarely, and it's usually down to me trying to extract too fast and the weight of the honey still in the cells, pushing the comb integrity too far. We've been using our clearer boards to remove bees from the supers once again. These boards sit on top of wooden eeks, and the bees funnel down from the supers through the clearer board and into the empty space below. I like the rhombus clearers. I find they work great for the most part and only let me down when we have a queenless colony. What appears to happen is the bees separated from their queen almost panic, if bees of course can panic, and then they make a dash for the only opening in the board that allows them access to the colony below. Once through the clearer, they either move down to the main body of the colony or sit in the empty super above the brood box. And this is really important, actually. It's quite an important point. For anyone removing supers for the first time, you must give the bees space to move into to make the operation quick and easy. Imagine having a really strong colony. I know some beekeepers can only imagine what a really strong colony looks like after having suffered multiple swarms already this season. But let's say you have three full supers of honey and they're holding lots of bees. If you put the clearer board on without giving them room beneath, 
all of those bees have to cram into the brood box. And if you're using a national beehive, that's not a very big box at all. Far better to give them an empty super with frames of foundation to cling to, and you'll find the supers will clear nice and easily. I clear them overnight, so the clearer boards go on in the afternoon, and these supers are then removed the following morning. Generally, the supers are clear, as I said, but sometimes, and normally due to the colony being queenless, the supers hang on to a large quantity of bees, and then we use a blower to blow out the remaining bees. The last thing we need or want is a large number of bees being taken back to the unit where we're surrounded by other businesses that are mostly run by grown adults who appear terrified of flying insects, especially bees and wasps. Better for us to have nice beeless boxes, better for the bees, better for our neighbours and better for us in the honey room. It's been a surprisingly reasonable spring crop to be honest, given the very slow start the miserable weather and then contending with that swarming period, I was reminded of a comment that seems prevalent in beekeeping circles, that if a colony swarms, you've lost your honey crop for the year. Well, it's true that you will lose some production, and if the timing is bad, you could lose a major chunk of your honey crop, but there's no reason why you shouldn't, in most instances, recover the situation and get a little honey off them for your efforts particularly if it's a spring swarm. Let me explain what I mean. I'm mentioning this because of a conversation I had with a beginner beekeeper who was feeling really fed up because his bees had swarmed and he contacted me on my Patreon site for some advice. After the poor start of this season, the sun finally shone and his bees did what many colonies have done this year and swarmed. He got to them just after they had flown the hive and managed to knock down all bar one queen cell which subsequently emerged, the virgin queen mated and started laying all successfully. And this is an important point. In order to get a honey crop from a colony that swarms early, you do need a few ducks to line up in a row as it were. There are several issues that can pop up that may scupper the whole positive scenario I'm painting here things like drone-laying queens, but I like to think that I'm an optimistic chap and, well, always look on the bright side of life, I say. That reminds me of Michael Palin, but that's another story. Anyway, our disappointed beekeeper has lost his spring crop of honey. That's true. But what he does have now is a colony that has frames of brood just emerging, a new queen just starting to lay, and new queens generally are very vigorous, and a brood box that has plenty of empty cells just waiting for eggs to be laid in them. So this happened towards the end of May. All beekeepers know workers take 21 days to emerge from their cells once the queen has laid the egg. So imagine a colony that has seven frames of emerging brood on or around the end of May. Yes, the colony has lost a heap of bees in the swarm, but the new bees emerging soon replace those. And about three weeks After the queen starts laying again, we have frame upon frame of sealed brood waiting to burst out and become the summer foraging force. Get those supers ready, people. We're going to get a summer honey crop after all. Obviously, I'm going with the best case scenario here following a swarm, but it does happen like this. I know, I have several colonies in just this position. 
Another topic that popped up this week is the subject of the June gap, the period of potential dearth of nectar that can sometimes cause starvation, normally because the greedy beekeeper has removed all of the honey without looking to see if the bees have enough food stored in their brood box and coincides with the end of the spring flowering period prior to the summer plants coming into flower. Firstly, if you are taking honey off your bees, do make sure you leave them something. Lots of colonies will pack their brood boxes with stores. This year, it's been amazing actually just how much pollen has been stored, but the bees need honey as well, so check the brood box, and if it's not heavy with stores, do leave them a partially filled super. Don't take it all. I'm not at all sure we're going to see a June gap here in Norfolk this year. My fallback plant of choice, the blackberry, or is it the bramble? I guess here in the UK it's the bramble, which produces the blackberry. Anyway, this plant is the first sign of summer for me, which is somewhat ironic as we're fast approaching midsummer. This plant signals the June gap is either over or never happened, and most of my apiaries have the first flush of bramble flowers opening this week. Now, at the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned this thing of swarms having a preference for particular locations within an apiary or area. Well, it's happened to me this week, and I kind of talked it up. Those of you that listen regularly will know of Pete, my downtrodden, woodworking, much-put-upon apprentice. I say apprentice, it's all very unofficial, and I think I probably benefit most out of the partnership. It's probably true of most apprenticeships. Anyway, I was at the workshop with Pete, chatting about his bees. He was prepping to start inspections, and so I joined him to watch how he was getting on. And as we looked through some of his hives, I mentioned that it looked like my colonies had decided that they had tried enough swarming for this year and I hadn't found a single queen cell in any colony other than those that were queenless and we were trying deliberately to help them along with frames of eggs so they could produce a queen cell. Anyway, I talked that one up, didn't I? I had to go to our bluebell apiary to collect some clearer boards from the hives there and when I removed one, a large cloud of drones erupted from the super odd for a couple of reasons. Firstly, there was a queen excluder between the empty super used for clearing and the brood box, so I'm a little puzzled as to how they got in there, but secondly, odd because there were so many. I looked up at all these drones taking to the air. It was early evening and they had no real reason for wanting to try to fly at that time, and right in front of me in a tree I had just a few days earlier taken a swarm out of was another prime swarm. I have to say, we all make mistakes, and I'm as bad as the next beekeeper, but I had inspected this colony just days earlier and hadn't seen any signs of swarming. There were eggs in the brood box, the queen was present, and I certainly didn't see any queen cells. Obviously, I was wrong on the queen cells issue, but we'll find out in due course. Anyway, the bees had settled in a birch tree, just a few feet from the location of the previous swarm that had also settled into this tree. Obviously, they seem to like it. So much so that I think next year we'll try putting a swarm trap in it to see what we can get. I'm not normally lucky enough to see where my colonies swarm to. They're usually miles away by the time I get back to inspect. But on this occasion, I got lucky. 
It reminds me of a quote from that great golfer, Gary Player, and I'm probably not quoting him exactly here, but something like, and I try to quote, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Regardless of the exact quote, I had thought of not going out to collect the clearer boards. It was getting quite late, but I knew I needed to keep working at it because each week I seemed to run out of time. So it was way after seven in the evening that I got to the apiary. Anyway, I got lucky, but being alone, I wasn't too keen to climb the tree. And how was I going to get them into a hive? Well, the solution was my Ford Ranger truck. I whacked it into 4x4 and reversed it over the rough ground to position it beneath the swarm. I set up the hive, this is the empty hive, next to the existing swarm that I'd hived just a few days earlier and climbed onto the back of my truck and shook the swarm into a cardboard box. I say shook them into a cardboard box, mostly they went into the box, but a large number also went down the front of my bee suit. Another good reason for wearing a bee suit when you collect a swarm. The good news is that the queen, bless her, went into the cardboard box, which was then tipped gently into the waiting hive. Frames popped in on top and a roof put in place. I moved the truck and continued to collect the clearer boards and by the time they were all strapped up on the back of the truck, the swarm had settled into the hive and the bees were fanning at the entrance to encourage the last remaining bees to join them. All was quiet and peaceful in the apiary once more. It's so nice when everything comes together like that. It was a quick dash home after that as it was our beekeeping association meeting night and of course I was late. It is funny how these things work out. In other news, I've managed to secure my very first borage pollination. All very exciting as I'm told it's a very good crop for honey production. It does mean a heap of work. I'm busy preparing colonies for moving as the site is not close to home and I'm checking hives are ready and more importantly safe to move. The plan is to strap them down using the span set straps, those are the ones that I bought from Thorns online, and then strap the entire batch of hives to the back of the truck and trailer. I always get a little nervous moving beehives on the trailer, mainly because I don't do it very often. And it's the same old situation of the more you practice with something, the more comfortable you get with it. I'll update you all on how it goes over the coming weeks and we'll be shooting lots of pictures and videos as the summer progresses. So do keep an eagle eye out for those as we post them on Patreon, our social media feeds and YouTube. I'm sure I'll make some mistakes along the way so you don't want to miss out on those. Another thing you don't want to miss out on is my latest podcast. A podcast subscription will get you the very latest tips and techniques from me each week as they're released. As things stand, it's going to cost a lot less than a couple of Starbucks coffees. And remember, that's drive through prices. Head over to my Patreon page and sign up to my Podcast Plus tier for the very latest beekeeping chat and an occasional swarm collection. That's it for this week. I'll catch up with you all again next time. But for now, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Thank you.